what we see in the scriptures is God revealing himself. He reveals his character, but he also reveals who he is through his interactions with other people. And that's what this series is about. This last series we did, Love Everyone Life by Life. We don't want to stop doing that. In fact, we need to do that more than ever. The election's this week, right? Love everyone life by life. But in the midst of that, what we came to conclude is that in order to really care for others and listen to others and engage with others and serve others and even share your story with others, we need God's help to do that. And so in this series, we're actually looking more at our connection with God. We're trying to spend time with God. And in these three weeks, our hope is that by brushing up next to God, you will be transformed, that you will be changed whether you've walked with God for a long time or you're here and still just kind of checking things out. But when you brush up against greatness, your life is never the same. Now, I used to live in Los Angeles. Some of you have heard me tell probably too many stories of those days. But one of the things I loved about living in LA is I actually became really good at spotting famous people, like really good at it. Like I should have been a paparazzi if I wasn't a pastor. And I ran into some really famous people, Justin Timberlake coming out of the bathroom at the Grove. And by the way, Cameron Diaz, uh, I saw as well. I think he used to date her. I'm not sure. And then I saw Will Ferrell. I saw Mr. T, Richard Simmons, Alec Baldwin, and I survived. Everything, <laughs> any famous person you can think of, I saw them along the way. And I, and I never came up with a, a plan. Like, I didn't take pictures of them. I didn't go talk to them. But I thought about this idea of going up to them with like a mundane question just to throw them off. Like, hello, excuse me, but do you know what time it is? Just to see their face, like, well, who is this guy, right? Just, just to make them think I wanted an autograph, but really, I just wanted to know the time. And I didn't do that. Maybe I should have. Now, before you think badly of me, more badly than you already do. Uh, I, I never had a restain, restaining order put on me. Uh, I was just a collector, a collector of stories. But one time I saw Richard Jefferson. Now, if you're a basketball fan, you might know who I'm talking about. At the time, he was on the New Jersey Nets and he was on my fantasy basketball team. So I had to say something to him. We're at the airport waiting for a flight and I'm thinking, that's Richard Jefferson, the Richard Jefferson. And so I'm trying to think of what to say and what to, to do. And, and, and I just approached him and started to talk to him. And it, it was this really exciting moment. Now, I have to tell you, as a guy who's not that tall, I wish basketball was not my favorite sport. I wish growing up I was more into horse racing or gymnastics. <laughs> there was like a future in one of those for me, but not... Not basketball so much, but I love basketball. So when I walked up to Richard Jefferson and struck up a conversation, and he was just the kindest, nicest guy, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I'm so sorry, I just realized I'm at the wrong gate, and he took off. And I thought, sure he is, right? And as I got up and walked around a little bit later, I saw him boarding a plane with a couple of the guys from that 70s show. They were on their way to Austin for an event called South by Southwest. Now, I have to tell you, after I met Richard Jefferson, had this nice conversation with him, and then realized he truly was at the wrong gate, not just trying to get rid of me, I felt like Richard Jefferson was my friend. And every time I'd see him on TV, I'd say, Deborah, come look, my friend. 
Watch how he shoots. Look how he jumps and dunks and blocks. My friend was on TV. Richard Jefferson was a friend. Now, before you report me to the police, let me just say that I think sometimes we do something similar with Jesus, that we know all about him. Maybe we even could answer trivia questions and win a trivia contest. And when we hear Jesus' name mentioned, we think of him as a friend. But do we actually know him or do we just know about him? Do we have a relationship with him or do we see him as like someone famous? See, the thing that we see in the scriptures is that Jesus had plenty of fame. He wasn't looking for fame. What he was looking for is followers, people who would surrender their lives and follow after him. And there were times in his ministry when he would speak with such boldness that it actually scared some people away. He he didn't come to bring a free medical clinic or free food. He, he was trying to create a movement that would continue long beyond his time on earth. Ultimately, giving his life, dying on the cross and rising from the dead, what Jesus came to do is the greatest miracle, which is healing hearts. And as our hearts are healed, we can bring that healing to others, life by life. So the passage of scripture that we are looking at today in Luke 5, we see this kind of interesting experience where Jesus is teaching and he sees these fishermen who aren't paying much attention. And one of them was named Simon. He comes to be known as Peter. Jesus gives him a nickname a little bit later in the story. But look again at Luke chapter 5. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee, And the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He saw these two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. Now, it's important to get Simon's mindset in this moment. This was the end of his work day. Are any of you like to go fishing? Typically, you're supposed to go out in the dark. And Peter, Simon, was just the same. Out in the night when they seem to be more gullible or they can't tell it's a hook. I don't know why. I'm not very good at fishing. But they're out in the middle of the night. He's exhausted. It's the end of his work day. And it's not just rod and reel fishing. They actually would throw nets out into the water. It's incredibly labor-intensive. So Simon is tired. And not only that, he's probably frustrated. He hadn't caught anything. This was not a great day at work for Simon. It was just one in a long line of nondescript days. This is Simon's life, and that's where Jesus shows up. And I love that in this story, it tells us that Jesus just got into one of his boats. He didn't ask for permission. He just got in his boat. Apparently, That's the kind of interesting, unapologetic person Jesus is. He just comes aboard Simon's boat and says, can you help me out here? And from the beginning, Jesus is disrupting Simon's status quo. See, in fact, that's what a brush with greatness does, a brush with God. A brush with God's greatness disrupts the status quo. See, out of nowhere, Jesus is staring at Simon in his boat and pulling him into what he's doing. Have you ever had that feeling? Or 
God just kind of shows up unannounced, interrupting your life? Have you ever just felt like, how did we get here? Or maybe you've had this moment in your life where you felt like you were spared from some tragedy and you've wondered why. See, at that moment, Simon had a decision. There's a guy in his boat. He could have said, hey, Jesus, dude, get out of my boat. And this story probably wouldn't have made it into the scriptures. But in that moment, in spite of how tired he was, in spite of how frustrated he was, he was curious. Well, this is interesting. That guy teaching the, the crowd over there is in my boat. Whatever comes next, Simon seems to be curious. He, he chose not to just plant himself on the beach to give in to fatigue and the dissatisfaction or the routine. Instead, he allowed curiosity to move him forward. And the same can be true in our life. Curiosity moves us forward. I wonder, in your life, what would you categorize as the beach in your life? Where is that place where you're locked into the status quo, doing what you've always done, maybe vaguely dissatisfied, or perhaps you stay there because it's safe or comfortable? See, what I've discovered is that God often invades those spaces and disrupts our lives, inviting us into something different, something better, something deeper. The question is, will we just stay on the beach or would we willingly go with God? And if you followed Jesus for a while, you might have had this experience in your life. See, this is a repeated pattern in following Jesus. In fact, we see in the scriptures, this happened to Simon again and again. Jesus just shows up disrupting everything. And if your journey of following Jesus has gotten predictable, you might need to reassess if you've been planting yourself on the beach, maybe refusing some of those invitations, those promptings, those opportunities that you see in front of you. Look again at Luke 5, this time verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, uh, Master, we have worked all night long, but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. Now that word master is more of like just a sir. If you grow up in Texas where you said yes sir and yes ma'am. All right, it's, it's, he's not proclaiming Jesus as his leader, his Lord. He's just saying, sir, uh, we just did this and it didn't work. Now, what started as a request, will you put out from shore a bit, suddenly amps up. Jesus takes it to the next level. Simon, go out into deeper water. See, what happens in our relationship with God is that it might begin as just hanging out, but eventually the invitation will be to trust him, to let him lead you. Jesus is leading Simon to do something he's naturally set against. It doesn't make any sense to him. And, by the way, this is how God interacts with us. There's not a lot of details. Just trust me. Just come this way. Now, it would have been perfectly understandable for Simon to say, look, Jesus, you're a rabbi, not a fisherman. Why don't you just leave the sailing and the fishing to me and you keep teaching people and doing miraculous things over there? Have you ever had someone try to speak into your field of expertise? That's not a fun place to be. 
right? But here, what we see is that Simon did something so important. In fact, it's six words that changed his life. Six words that if you and I could begin to say these to God will change our life. In spite of the odd circumstances, this teacher telling a fisherman how to fish, Simon said this. He said, if you say so, I will. What is your heart towards God? If you say so, I will. When that becomes how we respond, it will lead to a transformed life. It will lead to a life beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. See, Simon had this opportunity. Would he let this brush with greatness take him away from the shore, out into deeper water, and beyond his own understanding? Or would he stay on the beach? And so Simon makes a decision. He decides to trust Jesus more than he trusts himself. Even though he knew better, he knew way more about fishing than Jesus. Simon allows Jesus to stretch him into uncomfortable faith territory. Look what happens, verse six. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. See, I think a lot of us would like to see God show up in miraculous ways in our lives, but we're not willing to push out into deeper water. We're not willing to go where God is stretching us, where he wants us to be uncomfortable in a place in the unknown where we need him to come through for us. See, Jesus didn't let Simon experience the supernatural power of God until he was willing to do what was unintuitive, uncomfortable. This is what it means to have a brush with greatness. Have you sensed perhaps that that God wants to do more in your marriage, more with your kids, more in your friendships, more where you work. It's possible that the only way you'll experience the supernatural and the miraculous is to start being faithful with the little things he's put right in front of you, to trust him in ways that may not make sense. You see, we may not think, well, if I was there, you know, and that's Jesus, I would not have answered sarcastically, right? But I believe in my own experience, there are things in my life that I think I'm the expert in that God has no idea what he's talking about. What about you? There are areas in our life where we just assume we know what's best. When in reality, if we can learn to trust God, especially in those areas, on the other side of that is the miraculous. If you say so, I will. If that becomes our posture towards God, we will be amazed at what happens. See, God is waiting for our obedience. It's obedience that moves us forward. If you're stuck in your spiritual journey, it could be because you know there's something he wants you to do. And until you step out and do it, he can't reveal what's next. What is it that God has pressed on your heart, the good that he's asked of you to do? the thing that he's asked you to surrender, to let go of. See, on the other side of obedience, there is the miraculous, the supernatural. The way of God's kingdom is not just by mentally believing, it's about stepping out in action on what Jesus has said. Look at verse eight. 
But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. See, sometimes when God shows up, it's a bit too real. We can be overwhelmed. Simon gets rattled by how real Jesus' power actually is. I mean, he spent all night fishing without one fish, and now he had too many to the point where their boats were sinking. And all of a sudden, he remembered, wait a minute, I'm a fisherman. I should not be in the presence of this teacher, this prophet, this miracle worker. I don't know if you know any sailors, but they're known for their salty language. I, I remember the first Navy man I ever met was my great uncle, my mom's uncle. And he was in World War I and had these tattoos. Like before, tattoos were cool. They were all like just this weird green. And I remember being so intimidated by him. And he actually raised pigeons, like for fun. And you'd go to his house in San Antonio and there was this pigeon coop. And we'd go and He'd show us the pigeons, and they smelled terrible. And then he would tell us about how they were featured in the film called The Birds, which my parents would not let me watch, <laughs> lest I never go to Uncle Henry's house again. So here's a salty fisherman, fully aware because of the miracle that Jesus did. I should not be in your presence. See, when we enter into God's presence, it can be overwhelming, He's saying, Jesus, you shouldn't be here in my boat. Don't you realize who you're talking to? I'm not a good guy. See, what Peter didn't understand, what Simon didn't understand, what sometimes we don't understand is that's what grace is. It's God's love for people who don't deserve it. But we can't experience the fullness of God's love unless we ask to receive it. He does not kick down the door of our heart. He's a gentleman asking to be followed, asking to be let in. See, what happens is when you have an encounter with God, the lights go on about who you really are and the flaws that you have. And here's what's crazy. As you walk with God longer and longer, the closer you get to God, the more you realize how far away you really are. The more aware you become of his greatness and how his love is far beyond what we could ever deserve. And what we're gonna look at next week is how a brush with greatness can actually bring healing and grace over those places where we feel guilt or even shame. But here's this interesting moment. See, while Simon thinks Jesus doesn't realize he, who he's talking to, it's actually the other way around. Simon doesn't really understand yet who he's talking to, but he's getting closer. It's right then that Jesus speaks a life-altering vision into Simon's humbled and obedient heart. Verse 10 then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. You become a fisher of men. Jesus looks into Simon's eyes and says, I have something for you far greater than fish. There's so much more for you than this, Simon. See, here's the thing. When you interact with the creator of the universe, the one who gave you life, he created you on purpose and he has a purpose for your life. And you might be afraid that if I surrender my life to God, then, then my dreams may not come true. Well, here's the thing. God's dreams for you are greater than the dreams you have for yourself. 
It, it may take you in a different direction than you would have ever chosen, but you will look back and never regret it. Jesus offered a radically different vision of greatness for Simon's life. He didn't just want to make his dreams come true. He wanted him to dream grander dreams. Listen to this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Do you understand that's God's heart for you? His love for you is such that he not only wants to rescue you from the brokenness, he not only wants to heal you from the pain of the past, he has a dream for your future that is greater than what you could ever ask or imagine. He has a dream of greatness for you, but it's his kind of greatness. So many people, we walk around wanting to know what God's will is for our lives, but we're omitting what Simon did. The key to discovering what God's purpose is for your life is to be humble and willing to trust him step by step, no matter what small step he wants you to take. Humble, obedient hearts are the ones who are ready for Jesus' vision for their life. And you can always tell by how they respond. Look what happens in verse 11. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. If you know the rest of the story for Simon, he became known as Peter, which is the rock. He became a leader in the early church. In fact, he was the one that was speaking in Acts chapter 2. After Jesus had died and risen from the dead, after his spirit came to live among those who were following Jesus, he stood and spoke and thousands of people said yes and followed after him. Peter was also the one who denied Jesus three times after his arrest. He was also the one who would put his foot in his mouth quite often. But he was a fisherman who became someone we're talking about 2,000 years later. See, what we need to discover is that surrender is the way forward. And maybe you're stuck in some issue of trusting God, some part of your life. I want to encourage you to surrender whatever it is you've held on to, the area of your life you think you know better than God. Get off of the beach and let him take you into a deeper place. There's only one way forward, and that's Surrender. Abandon yourself to him. It's not just a nice theory. It's, it's actually my personal experience. I grew up in Texas, and when I was 10 years old, tragically, my grandfather passed away. He was only 57, and even to this day, we're not exactly sure why his body just fell apart. It was devastating for my dad and his brother and sisters, and all of us in the Bryant extended family were just shocked. And I remember that was the first person I knew close to me who died. And death is a scary thing. Death reminds us of how fragile life is. And I remember one particular Sunday morning as someone whose parents took me to church all the time growing up, I remember because we would, we would dress up. And this was in Bacon Heights Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas. That is the name. It's a delicious name for a church. <laughs> and I remember sitting in the in the crowd, in the congregation, sitting in the pews, which are incredibly uncomfortable. The only other place that has pews is the courthouse. Have you noticed that? But I was sitting in this pew, and the pastor was talking about when you die. 
And I remember looking up, my dad's about the same size as me now, but I remember looking up and grabbing the lapel of his suit jacket and pulling on it and saying, I want to go to the front. And so we went to the front. A few weeks later, I got baptized. And, and I think for a 10-year-old, I understood as much as a 10-year-old could. But as I went into middle school, things began to change. See, in many ways, I just had what I like to think of as fire insurance, right? So that when I die, I would not go to hell. That was it. And so going into middle school, suddenly there were options and opportunities and temptations. And I have to admit, I did not like going to church. And so I would pretend to sleep in on Sundays because I never slept in. And, and there was a couple occasions where they didn't make me go to church. Another couple times I faked being sick. Uh, that worked pretty well. I saw Ferris Bueller's day off, gave me some ideas on how to pull it off. But most of the time they would take me regardless of my pleas and begging requests. And sometimes I'd go in through the front door, watch them do turn left, and I'd go out the back door and jump on a trampoline at my friend's house. But in spite of that, my parents kept taking me, and then something terrible happened. My dad was asked to do more with the church. You see, my dad had a kind of a private faith. We didn't really talk about God at home. We prayed before the meals, but we didn't really read the scriptures. We didn't really talk about our faith. But what I discovered is my dad was taking little cassette tapes. For those of you born in the 90s, ask somebody around you what those are. He would take little cassette tapes of the messages to everyone that was a part of our church that was too sick or too old to come. And they discovered that about him, and so they asked him to become what's called a deacon, which to me just meant now I had to go to church Sunday nights and Wednesday nights too. But I'm so grateful my parents didn't let me quit. Which, by the way, it's incredibly normal. If you have kids, once they hit that middle school age, suddenly they don't want to do what they used to love to do. That's, by the way, they're going to ask you not to go to school either. So, but as you continue to bring them, as my parents continue to bring me, I actually developed some friendships with some people who seem to have a real relationship with God. And I like to think that because I was young enough, I didn't have any resources, girls didn't like me, I was able to stay out of trouble until I was 17 and I was at a youth camp and it was at that youth camp, every year they would talk about how they want us to read the Bible, like let your relationship with God become real just between you and him and so every year reading the Bible and praying and, and so I tried to do that on that camp and I remember sitting on a bus at the camp. And in that, I prayed and I asked God to forgive me for doing my own thing. I asked God to lead me. And it was like it was the first prayer I'd ever really prayed. I felt a peace that I could not explain to you in any other way than to say, I experienced God, I had an encounter with Jesus. It was on that same trip that I remember the, the guy speaking and he quoted this verse. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I felt like he was talking to me. And I went to my pastor and said, I, I think I'm supposed to become a pastor. And he was excited about it. He asked me to speak that Sunday night. I was just like, wait, hold, hold on just a second. I'm just... <laughs> And so he gave me 30-minute slot. I was done in seven minutes. That was my first message. I told my parents, and they were like, well, that's neat, you know, kind of hoping I would grow out of it. But God began to speak to me because I began to listen. 
I, I wonder, what about you? Can you remember a moment when you encountered God? Can you remember a moment when you experienced a peace that surpasses understanding? See, God's desire is that you might encounter him. And it's not just one time, although I can point back to that moment. And it's a moment that helps me in the midst of the times where I feel far away from God. But just like any other relationship, the more you invest in your relationship with God, the more you'll experience his presence. Your more your life will bear the fruit of a life connected to God. Are you stuck on the beach? Are you willing to trust him? Perhaps for some of you, it's saying, yes, I need what you did, Jesus, to count for me. I, I don't want to just believe it with my head. I want to follow you with my heart. Surrender your life to follow him today. Or maybe you've wandered away. You heard the stories of Stephanie and Melissa and Amber. Maybe their stories resonate. Maybe that's where you are, needing to be healed, needing to be forgiven, needing a father. In this moment, I want to pray for us. Whatever your next step is, whether restarting this relationship, choosing to go deeper in your relationship, or saying yes for the first time, whatever it is, surrender in these moments. Let God speak to you as I pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you love us. We don't deserve your love, and yet you came for us. You changed the lives of those who followed you to the point where life by life, we are now in a place where either we were raised in a home that took us to church or we have friends who invite us here or, or perhaps we found this place just recently, God, wherever each person is in this room, it is not an accident that they're here today. God, would you give us the courage to surrender, to say yes to whatever your next step is. If it's to get baptized, saying yes, I want to Show the world what's already happened in my heart. Give them the courage to say yes to that. If it's to forgive, give us the courage to do that. If it's to step out into a deeper space, sacrificing more, spending more time with you, serving, God, whatever it is, just give us the courage to take that next step. And God, we do pray that we would become people who love others in a world that's broken and fighting and angry, in a world where our politics becomes so preeminent, would you help us to be people whose peace and love and faith bubbles out of our hearts into the lives of those around us? 